It is February, what, 16th? I got a question for you. How are your New Year's resolutions coming along? How you doing? Did you give up yet? Yeah, you're already like, you know what, 2021. 2021 is the year that I'm gonna go to the gym. I gotta tell you something, it's not too far gone. You can still keep going. Um, <laughs> growing up and changing is hard. Making improvements in our life is difficult. I used to say, I'm gonna start running every day. I used to say that. I believe it or not, I used to say that. There's a problem with running every day, for me at least, is the whole time I'm running, the only thing that goes through my mind the whole time I'm running is this. I hate this. When is this gonna be over? <laughs> when, do I, when do I stop running and I run and then I, I just, I don't wanna do it anymore and guess what? I don't run every day. I don't run every day. There's been times in my life when I was a runner, I don't know if that's even a fair thing to say, but the truth is some people love it. It becomes a discipline for them. Discipline is our word for the day, okay? Yay. Discipline is our word for today. And discipline, if we're honest, is hard. It's very difficult. I hate running, but some people love it. What I found is this. If, if there's a discipline you want in your life and you start doing it and you push through the hard parts, the crazy thing happens in your brain. You start to become obsessed with it. You're hooked on it. You have a runner in your life like that? I wanna tell you about my friend David, David Ball. Some of you might know David. He's been in Wilmington for a long time. David's a runner. David runs every day. David hasn't missed a day of running since January 5th, 2009. And if, just to wake you up, that was over 10 years ago. I was talking to a guy yesterday. He was like, man, I've been working on this since 1998. I was like, really? He said, yeah, like 16 months. I was like, bro, we're in a new century. Like, move on. 2009 was 10 years ago. He's been in this thing for over 10 years. He said this, he said his goal was not to run every day for 10 years. His goal was to run every day for one month, for 30 days. He said, I just wanna do this, I wanna get better at it. And he said, you know, if I can run every day for 30 days, I will reward myself with a gym membership. He said, I ran every day for 30 days. And I was like, that wasn't so bad. It's actually pretty good. And the streets are free. <laughs> so he never joined a gym and he just kept doing it and kept doing it. He tracks it with an app. Uh, this past week, he hit his 4,055th day in a row of running. And it's impressive. He got hooked. He ran through it and he realized, you know what? I can do this. And it's good for me and it makes me feel better. Here's the thing about this. Uh, he's also run four marathons and four half marathons in that time period. I know there was a period where he was riding his bike every day in addition to running, but he had some issues. He had to work out with his knees or something. He went back to that. A couple of years ago, he, uh, he had a friend who was wrestling with some serious depression and had a really bad drinking problem. He said, dude, just run with me. And the guy started running every day. And that dude has not stopped running. They call it streaking, running, not another kind of streaking, <laughs> running with clothes on. That dude has been running every day for over eight years and doesn't have a drinking problem anymore and doesn't suffer with depression. It's crazy what a little bit of discipline will do in your life. And my friend David is hooked. He's obsessed. You know, I've learned a lot of things about discipline and other things that I am more disciplined in. And I found this, that people who are truly disciplined in things, when they hit the roadblocks, when they hit the hard times, the thing that makes them different from the rest of us is they stick through it. They go through the hard thing. They don't give up when it gets hard. They go through it until they get to the other side. My friend David has fought through a lot of things. He was, I was asking him this week, I said, dude, tell me about some of the worst things you've had to put up with while you run. He has run, I think a couple times with the flu. 
He tells a story about like throwing up on the side of the road and keep on running. I was like, you know you can stop. Like you don't have to keep doing this. He's like, no, I want to. He said that he's run through ice storms and snowstorms. He's ran, he, the, the hurricane passed right over us. He waited for the eye to get here and then he ran. One time he was running, a dog jumped over a fence, bit him, tore his shorts. I think he just kind of kicked the dog off and kept on running. He pushed through it and that's how it has to happen. If we're gonna keep a discipline and we're gonna work hard and it's gonna change our life and it's really impacted him a lot. Discipline. Now, um, a lot of times I've found that there's a good definition for discipline, okay? Discipline is about doing something I may not really want to do right now so that I can do something that I want to do later. Think about that. It's not the like fullest definition of discipline, but it's like I, I'm gonna do something right now that I don't really wanna do. I might not wanna get up early and run, but I want to be in better shape. I wanna have, you know, whatever, better health so that I can do the things that I want to do later. So discipline's not our favorite word, but when it comes to our spiritual life, I believe that it's one of the most important concepts we can grasp. We're in this teaching series called Jumpstart. We're in the sixth week of this series. It's the final day. We've learned a lot of things. And our idea with this Jumpstart series was we look at people in our life, and maybe you know some of these people, maybe you'd like to meet some, who have this incredible faith, like this unshakable faith, and you meet them and they're like, how did they do that? How do they get through these hard things? How do they grow? And, and the truth is, when you look at these people, there are a few themes in their lives that rise to the top. And we've called these, these, uh, these things catalysts catalysts for faith growth. So that's what we've been looking at for the last five of the six weeks. Uh, practical teaching was one. We talked about pivotal relationships. We talked about personal ministry. Last week, uh, Patrick unpacked problematic circumstances. These are all keys in the lives of people who have faith and they, these things that seem to be incorporated. If you've missed any of these things, I, I encourage you to go check it out on our podcast and catch up. It's really good for you. And this fifth one that we're getting in today is called private disciplines. The things we do daily, weekly, regularly to help us grow. Something you may not want to do now, but so that you can do some things later, like have faith. Private disciplines. If you got a Bible today, grab it. We're going to be in the book of Matthew, and we're going to be studying some of Jesus' teaching. Actually, a big old chunk from the Sermon on the Mount. A big percentage of our teaching for this series has come from Matthew's, uh, Matthew chapter 5, 6, and 7. Matthew is one of the biographies of Jesus' life, and you can find it in the New Testament of the Bible, which is that last little third. And I always say this, in case you've ever missed it, missed it, we have free Bibles to give away at our church every week, and they're on a shelf right by the door, so you can feel free. It won't be awkward if you get up now and go grab one, or if you want to get one before you leave today. Keep it. It's yours. It's a gift. And we're going to be in Matthew chapter 6. And we're going to read about 18 verses out of Matthew chapter 6 as Jesus kind of gives a workshop on some private disciplines that we can have in our lives. Some things that we can do in our lives every day or on a regular schedule that will really help our faith grow. Because Jesus is in this big chunk of teaching called the Sermon on the Mount, and he goes through some of his most primary teachings. And a follower of Jesus really kind of has to have some of these things in his mind and in her mind and in their lives so that we can begin to grow. And so I want to jump right in. We're going to be in Matthew chapter 6, starting at verse 1. And Jesus is going to give us what I'm going to call three private disciplines that we can begin to incorporate in our lives right away. It's going to be hard, but it's going to be worth it. And as we work in these things, our faith will most certainly grow. So here we go. Let's jump right in. Matthew chapter six, starting at verse one. He starts out like this. Be careful not to practice your righteousness in front of others to be seen by them. Our key word for this thing is private disciplines. 
This is not about other people seeing you. This is about what you're doing in your own life to cultivate and enrich your own faith and your spiritual connection with God. If you do, you will have no reward from your Father in heaven. This isn't about showing off. So, verse two, when you give to the needy, do not announce it with trumpets as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and on the streets to be honored by others. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. Now, when it comes to talking about our private disciplines, I find it very interesting that the thing Jesus starts with is what? Money. Step aside here. If you're new here, you haven't been here much, I wanna tell you this. We don't talk much about money, and when we do, we try to be very respectful and, uh, and, um, and honor like the, the context of money. I think that there have been lots of times where the church has been pretty like atrocious in the way they talk about money. This is not a ploy to get anybody to give money to Venture Church. In fact, often I say, you don't have to give money to this church. <laughs> we want you to honor God with your money and your finances uh, and, and serve the kingdom of God, and you need to do it in a place that you totally trust and you totally are, are on board with. Okay, and so that's not what this is. This is Jesus stepping in and say, listen, if you wanna honor me, if you wanna grow in your faith, there's some disciplines you need to put in your life, and the first thing he talks about is our money, and I think it's because of this. I think it's because Jesus knows that in our personal lives, there is a conflict for us. There's a battle going on, okay? This is the battle. Am I gonna trust God or am I gonna trust money? I know that Jesus knows this because he says it later uh, in the book of Matthew. He says, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. You know this. This is what you're pouring your life into. It's why so many of us are working 60, 80 hours a week because this is what we need. More money in the bank, bigger house, bigger boat. Gotta pay for the debt that I incurred. Where your treasure is, there your heart is also. Now remember, this series is about growing our faith. And Jesus understands that, listen, you're gonna have faith in something. There's a good chance you're gonna have faith in your money before you have faith in me. Let me ask you a question. This is a rhetorical, little quiz in your head. Okay, put yourself in this scenario. You go to your mailbox one day, you open the mailbox, you pull out a bill. It's like a $3,000 invoice for something that you didn't expect. Air conditioner broke, car broke, medical bill, something. Big thing, you're like, oh. now you need another doctor's appointment. But you look at this bill, let me ask you, there's a couple scenarios that you're gonna go through. A, option A. Are you gonna go, oh shoot, what am I gonna do? Okay, here's what I gotta do. I need to work more hours, I need to tighten the belt, spend less money, I need to pull some money out of savings, I need to call grandma, see if she can send me a check. I need to get a better job. And honey, you were talking about picking up that second job. Can you earn some more money? Option A, figure out a way to earn more money. Or option B, whew, well, that was unexpected. But you know what? God has dealt with bigger than this. After all, he did create the entire universe. He owns it all. He's seen me through some other things. At least he's seen some other people through some other things. I'm not gonna freak out. Instead, I'm gonna trust God. A or B. Now you might waver between the two. Now I realize it's a little bit tongue in cheek because there's part of it's like, well, you might need to do some financial things. Like there could be option C. I think option C might also be like God says, hey, maybe you need to cancel Hulu and all the other memberships you have. You need to quit running up credit card debt. You need to quit living foolishly with the money I have blessed you with. So there is option C, which is like, yeah, it does involve us reorganizing our finances. But it kind of puts that question in our mind. Like, do we put our faith in extra hours at work, more money in the bank, or do we put our faith in God who says, I created all this, I could do without the money. Where do we go? And that's why Jesus, when he talks about growing our faith and he gets into these private disciplines, the first thing he mentions is our money. And so he's got a solution for that. 
We bring it up in verse three. He says, but when you give to the needy, he's gonna do this a lot to us, so let's just go ahead and get ready for this. He's gonna say this phrase, when you blank, like he's assuming like you should be doing this, okay? So he says, when you, not if you, when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. You've heard this before, right? It's a pretty popular phrase. Jesus is the one who said it. So that your giving may be done in secret, private disciplines. And then your father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. This is not a sermon. I believe this. I believe that a lot of Christian teachers misuse this and they teach you that God's goal for your life is for you to be filthy rich and to have lots more money and a bigger jet. I haven't seen my first jet yet to start with, but I don't think that that's at all what Jesus is talking about here when he talks about being rewarded. Jesus's economy is never in dollars and cents or gold and silver. His economy is something different. He talks about treasures in heaven, spiritual things. So his point here is really cool. He says, listen, when you practice generosity, there's a potential for some spiritual benefit. When it comes to us growing our faith in the private discipline, one thing that we can begin to do is plan as a discipline to be generous. Not like accidentally generous, like, oh man, oh, there's somebody that needs something. Mm. Got a dollar, well, you got change for a dollar? You know, like, no, but you're like, you know, I make this much money. Let me plan to give some of this away before I spend 110% of it on myself. Let me plan to be generous. That's why in the Old Testament, they had a, a principle that they use. Every Jewish person, a lot of people write on this a lot, be like, well, the Bible, the New Testament doesn't teach that Christians have to tithe. True story, it doesn't. But in the Old Testament, the principle of the tithe was this. You would take 10%, tithe is a word that means 10th, just a word thing. And they take 10% of their income and they would dedicate it to the work at the temple. And it would take care of the temple. There was the tithe and then there were all kinds of other things called offerings. Have you ever noticed sometimes at church, we do this here intentionally, but I try to teach it every now and then. We talk about tithes and offerings because the Bible teaches them they're kind of two different things. A tithe is a percentage giving decision you made to be generous and to, to trust God with your money in that way. Not everyone can start with a 10%. That's, that's sometimes a really big faith step. I encourage people to start with a 1%, start with a half a percent, start with a percentage because what you're doing, you say, I'm planning ahead. This is a discipline. This is like setting my alarm clock to get up to run in the morning. I'm planning ahead to be generous. And then there's the offering, which is above and beyond that. I have this sentence I learned a long time ago, and this is what this is. The reason this kind of principle teaches us to trust God and it grows our faith is because I'm saying to God, God, I think you can do more with this 90% that I have left than I could have done if I kept it all. I trust you. It's a hard thing to learn. My wife and I have made this part of our, our, uh, our practice uh, since we got married. Um, and Jesus literally just said, like, don't blow the trumpets and tell everybody what you're doing. And so th my heart behind this is not to say anything that we're doing. I'm bragging on God. But every year our goal is to say, listen, can we bump a percentage up a little bit? You don't have to go in whole numbers, by the way. There are decimals for a reason. God invented decimals. Um, and so you go a little bit, because each year I want to go, we trust God a little bit more. We trust God a little bit. And here's what I'm going to tell you what. He has never let us down. It's an old churchy statement. You can't outgive God. It is so true. And we keep waking up going, oh, wow, we still paid our rent this month. That's fantastic. And it begins to grow your faith because you're learning to trust God. He says, you don't believe me? Try me. Micah 
Malachi, sorry, Malachi, Old Testament prophet, he speaks the words of God, Malachi 3.10, he says, bring the whole tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my house. He's talking about taking care of the temple in the Old Testament times. He says, test me in this, says the Lord, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that there will not be enough room to store it all. He said, try me, try me, trust me with your money. See if I don't come through and take care of you and take care of somebody else. And some of the most powerful stories I've heard about people's faith growing have been in the context of them saying, I begin trusting God with the thing that was my God, which was my money. I let that go, and wow, did God show up. First private discipline, generosity. Let's move on. Second one, Jesus goes through three. He continues to talk, and, he, and he, the second one is, it's simple, you hear it a lot, but let's talk about it. It's prayer, prayer. Generosity, prayer. Verse five. And when you pray, there he goes again, not if you pray, he's like, work on it. When you pray, don't be like the hypocrites, there they go again, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by others. Truly, I tell you, they've received their reward in full. But when you pray, go into your room, close the door, and pray to your father who is unseen. And then your father who sees what is done in secret, he'll reward you. There it goes again. That blessing, that, that filling by God. And when you pray, don't go on babbling like the pagans. Pagans are people who don't even honor God for they think that they'll be heard because of their many words. Do not be like them for your father knows what you need before you ask him. This teaching is interesting in this context. Um, he's talking to a group of people who, who've seen this. They've seen these religious leaders who go on and babble and babble and babble and make a big show of their prayer and they make a big deal about it. Just like, that's the same thing that was happening with the giving, by the way, back in that context. There were people who were coming along going, oh, look here, I'm giving lots of money. I'm taking care of all the needs because they wanted the attention. So he says the same thing about the, the prayer here. Now, here's the thing. My guess is that most of us in this room don't have this problem with our prayer. My guess is you're not the one standing out on street corners with bullhorns and you're praying for everyone to see you. If, it, if that's you, can I give you some advice? Stop doing that, okay? Jesus says stop doing that. But my guess is that more likely we have another problem when it comes to prayer. We struggle with praying at all. Like we're not just showing off. We're not praying. Or when we do pray, it's weak, or it's like, I prayed for my food uh, or something. No, I'm not slamming anybody. I'm in this boat. I mean, my prayer life, I've been growing it and working on it, but it's, it's, it's a struggle for me to work on it. So I'm gonna kind of take a little shift from where Jesus was going, if you'll allow me, to say, okay, maybe if you're babbling on the street, stop doing that. But maybe we should just focus on the sentence where Jesus says, but when you pray, you should be praying. And it's, it's a little bit scary and it's a little bit weird because if you don't have much of a prayer life, it's hard because what do I say? Who am I talking to? I don't feel anything when I'm praying. Um, these are things that, you know, maybe you felt this. I know I felt these things. What, what do I say? What I know is that prayer is a powerful private discipline and it's something like any other discipline that you gotta start somewhere with. You gotta start running one day, right? So pray one time. Couple of tips. One, get you a piece of paper or a notebook, okay? Use that. Uh, it tracks you. We're ADD. We can't go more than 10 seconds without looking at our phone, right? We can't do it. Most of you have already posted on Facebook something, you know, right? Since we started this sermon. I, I'm joking, but it's, it's how we are. We can't even, we can't focus. And so get something that will draw you in, write it down, and pick one thing. Are you married? Great. Pray for your wife, pray for your husband. Write their name down. That's it. What do I say? My wife's name is Lindsay. Uh, Lord, take care of Lindsay. Uh, that might be my first prayer. 
you did it. Next day, take her, Lindsay, and you know, seemed like she was going through something. Um, Lord, help me to be a better husband to talk to her about it. I can't think of anything else to say. Say it again. Come back later that day and say it again. Push through, practice, 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 and your private discipline will begin to blossom and grow. I'm gonna brag on Mr. Errol who's sitting over here, and that's all I'm gonna say is his name, but some of you who know Mr. Errol know that his prayer discipline is strong. I'm so impressed sometimes when I, when I just look and I go, man, one day when I can pray like Mr. Errol. <laughs> but I know the first thing he would say to you is this. And don't look at me. This is my private discipline. You work on yours. And that's the power of private discipline. Why does it grow my faith? Because when I begin to pray, I get to see God work. When I get, begin to mention a thing, we prayed for our kids to come home safely this weekend. The high school students and the middle school students. You know what? When they get here, I doggone better well go, thank you, Lord, for getting them here. Not just like, well, I guess Phil was a good driver after all. No, that's not what it's about. It's about celebrating the victory and what God does. And God wants us to give him our thoughts and our prayer. Uh, I love that Jesus gives us a model prayer here. And I'm gonna get through this kind of quick. Maybe you've heard it if you grew up playing sports, uh, especially like high school football or something. You've heard the Lord's Prayer. We, we chant it like a bunch of gorillas, like it's like some, I don't know, that's, that's my memory of the Lord's Prayer, but let's read it for a second. This is a model prayer that Jesus gives. It's not one that we have, to, we have to memorize, it's good to memorize. It's not one that we have to say it exactly this way every time, but it's a good one to say this way. It's a model. He says, this then is how you should pray. This is verse nine. He says, our Father in heaven. So he starts out, hallowed be your name, or he praises God. This is a model. So the first thing we can do is say, God, you're great. You remember, you're just gonna pray for your spouse or your kid or your coworker. So you, that's what you're gonna get to. But here's a model. Start out by praising God. God, you're great. God, you're great. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. This is about inviting God into our lives. God, you're great. Just help me do what I can do on earth today to, to do what I'm supposed to be doing. He says, give us today our daily bread. Well, that's to pray for the things that you need. I love later, uh, it's in Matthew 7. You can look it up later, but he's, you know, he talks about we can ask our God for anything. He's a good father. We can ask him for anything we want. Just ask him for it. But this is where you pray for your spouse or your coworker or your friend or your need or your grandma who's sick or whatever it is. God, you're good. Help me do your will in this world. I'd like to pray for my wife today. I'd like to pray for my neighbor, my grandma. And you move on, verse 12. This is where it gets personal. He says, and forgive us our debts as we also forgive our debtors and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. The biggest thing that separates us from God and probably the reason that we have a hard time praying is our sin, We've gone against God. If you've ever sinned against a spouse or a boyfriend or girlfriend or a friend and then you tried to have a conversation with them, it doesn't go well. And so when we know we have these things standing between us and God, it's difficult for us to talk to him. You know what God says? Lay it on the table. <laughs> Lord, this is what I've done that I'm pretty sure you don't want me to do and help me to do better with that. By the way, that's the message of Jesus that you can be forgiven of that, that you can have his grace. Isn't that beautiful? It's all in the model prayer. Um, for, verse 14 for if you forgive other people when they sin against you your heavenly father will also forgive you but if you don't forgive others their sins your father will not forgive your sins this is I wish I could spend more time on this in Jesus' context Jesus didn't make this prayer up by the way this prayer had been around but this little part at the end where he's like help me forgive others as, as they've sinned against me that's the new part that's what it would have blown their mind they had no concept of grace in this culture that Jesus is speaking to and that's the peace that Jesus brings to the table is like, you know what? You've done wrong, but guess what? 
you can forgive others too. If they've done you wrong, you can forgive them. Okay, keep going. This is the private discipline of prayer. And when we get this thing going in our life, uh, it begins to change us. And I don't want us to overthink it. Like I hear people say, I, I can't pray out loud or I don't know what to say. And my challenge is this. This is hard, okay? Stop making prayer about you. If you've ever been in a close relationship or any relationship and the person you're talking to is only talking about them, like, don't you just wish they would stop talking? God doesn't want it to be like, well, the reason I'm not praying is because I'm not good at it or, or the whole time you're praying, you're thinking me, 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 me. God's like, look, this is just us. Let's talk, let's hang out. Prayer is a conversation with God. But it takes discipline. It takes practice. It takes putting it in our lives. So he's given us two big ideas, generosity, prayer. We're getting into a lot today, right? And we got one more. I'm calling it find fullness through fasting. The word is fasting, fasting. Uh, let's just read Jesus' words. Verse 16, he says, when you fast, dang it, Jesus, I thought I wouldn't have to fast. Okay, when you fast, do not look somber like the hypocrites. Those hypocrites, they're just, for they disfigure their faces to show others that they are fasting. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. Understand this next verse, verse 17, is talking about their context. Uh, when you fast, put oil on your head and wash your face. That would have made perfect sense to them. For us, to be like, take a shower and get dressed, okay? It's like, the whole idea is like, be normal. When you fast, be normal. Don't be walking around like, oh, man. I'm fasting. He's oh, like, you know, look normal so that it will be obvious to others that you're fasting. That's what they were doing wrong. But only your father who is unseen and your father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. Here's the deal with fasting. We don't talk much about fasting. Uh, you, you might know what it is. It's simple. Giving up food for some purpose. We do it for other things. The doctor says, hey, you got a physical tomorrow? Don't eat for 24 hours or whatever it is, right? That's fasting. Fasting is, I'm, for some reason, I'm not having food in my body for some period of time. You might have fasted for some kind of a diet. Uh, every morning, we have a meal that we call break fast. You know why? Because we haven't eaten since yesterday. And that's why it's called breakfast. We, and if you don't eat breakfast, guess what? Lunch is breakfast for you. It's just about reigniting your metabolism. That's what that is, okay? It's a fast. So we know, we know fast. You can also fast from things that aren't food. You can fast from social media, from your cell phone. You can fast from TV and whatever. You can, you can take time off from things for some other purpose. And here Jesus is talking specifically about fasting from food for spiritual reasons. And this one is actually a lot like the money one. We put a lot of trust in our money. We also put a lot of trust in our bodies. And you know, what is the first thing that we can't live without? We can't live without water for a period of time. You can't live without something. But the first thing that you can't live without is food. And then professional football. And then it goes down the list, right? It's food. And this is what God's saying. This is what Jesus is saying. Listen, I want you to take some time where you pause your eating. And it's a way of saying, God, you know, I would rather have a relationship with you than have a full belly. Take it to the fullest extreme. I'd, I'd rather die than not have a relationship with you. So fasting isn't just about like a thing we do every now and then because it seems neat. It's like, it's a, it's a trust thing. Now, God doesn't want us to like not eat till we die. It's not at all what he's asking. There have been people who have done long periods of fasting uh, in the Bible. And I actually have had some friends who have done 40-day fast. It's brutal. It's hard. 
and all they'll have is water and maybe they'll uh, every couple of days work in certain things. You can make your own rules. You, there's no rules to fasting. You make your own rules. But the point is, is this, like in the Bible, we see people fasting during times, uh, important times. And so like right before a really important decision needs to be made maybe, or maybe right after amazing things have happened. They would take time and they would fast, and this is why, because during fasting, uh, you, you get to this point where you're like, oh, I'm hungry. And those hunger pains remind you, oh, that's right. I was supposed to be thinking about this spiritual thing. I was supposed to be praying for this thing. I was supposed to be asking God about this thing. I was supposed to be growing in this way. You see how things work together? And God says, listen, I want you to trust me with your body. And so working in a habit of fasting is something that you can do on your own way. I get it, we have medical things, we have different reasons, but the whole idea is let me get something that's gonna get my attention. Set some time up for that. I've had a few times in my life where I've had buddies that I did this with. Again, this is just to celebrate God and give you some examples. Uh, but like we, uh, we would pick a day like, a, like Wednesday for several months and we just, we just fasted through lunch is all we did. Because during lunch, we decided, let's take that time. We would ideally take half an hour or an hour to get away and go eat. Let's take that time to just go and pray over this thing, this idea. Maybe you're going through a really big decision in your life. Can I encourage you to fast? And this is a private discipline, but just like prayer and giving, by the way, you don't have to like be secretive about it. Like it doesn't be like, oh man, someone saw me, you know, give money to an organization. Like you don't, you don't have to be super secretive about it, but it's about not blowing the trumpet. It's about not being a hypocrite about it. It's about making it about your heart. And so the same thing is true with, with fasting as well. To do that with a, a friend for accountability is powerful. The two or three or four or five of you, your small group or your whole family or something. Because together you're going on this journey and on the other end of it, you can talk about what God kind of said to you and how he moved you and how he changed you. And I call it finding fullness through fasting because there are so many things in this life that we try to fill ourselves up with. And God says, will you fill yourself up with me? Will you please fill yourself up with my presence my love and my goodness. And this is the last thing I'll say about fasting. Uh, when you eat, you can see the effect of your eating as your body grows, you know? And, and it comes out of you like fruit. And what's cool is, is we fill ourselves with fasting. You can also read God's word while we fast. You combine the praying and fasting at the same time. That's great. And the same thing happens. You start to see the fruit. You start to see the growth. Other people will see it. You will feel it. And your faith Will grow. What you do privately to grow your faith is going to show publicly, but not to your glory, to the glory of God. And the world becomes a better place, and your family becomes a better family, and you become a better dad, mom, kid, coworker, neighbor. Because God is growing you and He's changing you, and you're not the same person that you were before you began that discipline. We started this series, this is six weeks ago, and I said, hey, imagine we were kicking off a new decade. Remember, 2020 is a new decade. Imagine when we start the 2030s. If you can look back and say, you know, I made a few small changes in my life back in 2020. I got distracted mid-January, but by the end of February, I got on board. Or start next month or whenever you finally get your head wrapped around it. And a decade from now, as we start a new decade, going, man, I am so glad that I let those catalysts jumpstart my faith because then you'll be pouring out into the world and the people around you and God will get the glory. That wraps up our jumpstart series. Let me pray for us today.